Uh, greetings this morning, Bethel Church. The, the message will be a little unusual today. We've recorded it out here at our home, a little place we call Bittersweet Farm. I have a pastor friend, an acquaintance, who said that when his daughter was little, one day they were outside and he's telling her where she could ride her bike. He said to her, I want you to ride your bike right here in front of the house. I don't want you to ride your bike in front of the neighbor's house on either side. I want you to stay right here in front of the house. And she says, uh, what if I ride my bike over in front of the neighbors? He says, no, I don't want you to ride your bike over in front of the neighbors. I want you to stay in front of our house. That's where I want you to ride your bike. She says, but what if I ride my bike over in front of the other neighbors? He said, you, you don't understand. If you ride your bike over in front of the neighbors, I'll, I'll spank you. And so she says, well, you might as well spank me now because I'm going to ride my bike over in front of the neighbors. Well, it's a well-established fact that all of us sin, but we, res we respond to sin at different ways in different times. For instance, some people, when they're confronted with their sin, like the little girl, they're, they're willful, they're calloused about their sin. They don't care. That's the way it seems. Other people, they're deeply, profoundly uh, condemned. And they feel like they almost can't get out from underneath of the weight of their sin. Even often when they're well taught, there are those who are calloused about sin. And there are those who feel condemned under the weight of their sin. The scriptures do teach us that we should feel a weight of conviction. But there is a way out from underneath the weight of our sin. Today's message, I'm calling, Who is on the Lord's Side? Who is on the Lord's Side? Some of you that are older remember, that's the name of a song we used to sing in church, a wonderful martial old hymn. Who is on the Lord's Side? Who will serve the King? Who will be His helpers other lives to bring? Well, today in a minute, you're going to see why I call this message, Who is on the Lord's Side? But before I get there, I want to review something from last week in case you've forgotten or in case you weren't with us we were talking about satan and god and how they treat our sin so satan is going to say go ahead and sin it doesn't matter until you sin and then he's going to condemn you he's going to accuse you the scriptures teach that for instance the scriptures teach there in job that he accuses uh, the saints before before the throne of god the scripture teaches that in Revelation 13. And we mentioned that last week, that Satan is going to be cast down one day. And in that narrative, that description in Revelation 13, 7 and through 10, it teaches that, it says that the story is that Satan will, will be cast down, that the one who accuses the brethren before the throne night and day. That's what Satan does. Satan loves to get you to sin by telling you it doesn't matter, and then trying to crush you with condemnation by telling you you can, you can never be different, you can never change, you can never be restored, you can never be forgiven. That's the devil's work. Now, God treats our sin in a much different way. Obviously, he takes our sin very seriously. He sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die to pay for our sin, to forgive us, but there's no condemnation in him. Listen to what the story, listen to the story from Romans chapter 8. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, 
who can be against us? And, and this isn't ignoring our sin. <clears throat> the, the book of Romans has thoroughly developed the teaching about, about sin. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not also with him graciously given us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who can condemn the one that God has chosen and forgiven? Uh, who, uh, who, it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Did you catch it? It's God who justifies. And if God justifies through Christ, who is he who condemns? Well, the devil condemns. So, so what, are we, what are we establishing here? It's very simple. What we're teaching is we all sin, but we respond differently to our sin. Some of us are callous about our sin. And some of us are crushed by our sin. Others of us are convicted by our sin. God wants us, God wants us to be convicted in our conscience when we sin. He wants us to have the weight of conviction on our conscience. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. That's given to us through the activation of our conscience or through the teaching of the law. But, but that, that um, conviction is for a good purpose. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 says it's a good kind of grief, a grief for God's glory and for our good. That, that kind of grief, that kind of sadness, that, that weight of conviction, if it, if it drives us to Christ and then our sins can be forgiven, then it's a good thing. But if it just condemns us, if, if it just condemns us, if it only crushes us, if it only burdens us, then it's not a good thing. It's a, the Bible calls it a worldly sorrow, and it doesn't have a redemptive purpose, and it doesn't lead to repentance, and it doesn't lead to restoration, it doesn't lead to fellowship, it doesn't lead to cleansing, it doesn't lead to joy. Which are the things that God wants? They're the things God desires. They're the things for which God sent His Son, our Savior Jesus, to die on the cross. He wants you to be forgiven and free. He wants you to be free of condemnation and he'll bring conviction to you so that you will will confess your sin repent of your sin turn to jesus and be everlastingly free of condemnation now so so we we've established this right was what we we taught last week when i told you the little story about the man that followed the evangelist around and when the evangelist would mention a particular sin in his message the old man would turn around, he would point out individual people in the church and say, it was her, it was him. He was eager to condemn. Now, probably the old fellow was burdened about people sinning around him and, and he was misdirected in how he was dealing with it. And that's really the heart of what I want to talk to you about today in this message called, Who is on the Lord's Side? Because we need to decide whose side we're going to work on. If Satan is trying to condemn people, he's eager to bring up their sin against them. He's eager to have them feel the weight of condemnation. He's eager for them to, to, to live under the burden of that. Then when we accuse people, we're not doing God's work. We're doing Satan's work. But if we help people see the, the, their guilt 
through the faithful teaching of the law and by appealing to their conscience out of a relationship where we've earned the right to do so. And then when the person's conscience is burdened, they have a burdened conscience, they have a, then they are thirsty for the drink of water that is the gospel. They're thirsty to be free of condemnation. And that's when a skilled Christian, a thoughtful, skilled Christian can come in with a meaningful gospel conversation and help them to see that the work of Jesus on the cross, his death and his burial, his resurrection, his forgiveness is for them and can set them free. Who is on the Lord's side? Do you see what I'm saying? Are we going to work for the devil and condemn people? Are we going to work for the Lord and set people free from condemnation? Now, the Bible is absolutely full, chock full of stories of people who were guilty and, and who were inexcusably so, and yet they were forgiven and they were restored. Take, for instance, the example in the Bible that's so clear, the example of King David called a man after God's own heart, a man who, who knew and loved God, but yet he had a record of sin against him. These were egregious sins that David committed. You're familiar that David committed adultery, that David, David uh, acted in such a way that cost a man his life. Uh, and, and so there were some tre treacherous sins in David's life. And yet he came to be burdened through the ministry of the prophet Nathan, who came and told David a story about a family with a little lamb, if you recall. You should look that up and you should study that. He tells him this apparently benign kind of innocent story, but the story is actually so very powerful and David's conscience is very tender and his guilt, and Nathan appeals to him through this story and, and David's heart is broken and he turns to the Lord and he confesses his sin and he's restored to God. And then he writes these beautiful penitential psalms, for instance, like Psalm 51, that uh, Psalm 32, two examples of the five penitential psalms in the Psalter. He pens these beautiful psalms that God's people have used for centuries and for centuries to express their grief and express their sorrow to God. And many have been restored to God and help to walk with God because of the use of these penitential psalms, which I would commend to you. As you think about your own sin, don't be callous about your sin. Don't be casual about your sin. Don't be cavalier about your sin. But don't be crushed by your sin and condemned by your sin. Rather, instead, be convicted, turn to God, repent, be forgiven. Then you will take sin very seriously. But beyond that, what I'm talking about today is not what you do about your sin. That's really what we were talking about last week. We're really not talking today so much about whether you live under condemnation or whether you are callous towards sin. Well, let's assume that you were properly convicted about your sin. Let's assume that you repented, that you turned to the Lord, and that you're walking in freedom. How do you feel when other people sin? Here's what I noticed you would think it would grieve the heart of every believer 
to see someone else in sin, but that's not the case. Here's what I have observed myself. And maybe there's a dark strain of that in our hearts from time to time when an enemy sins or someone who maybe has hurt us. Is there a tendency to gloat because now that now they've fallen into sin? Is there an, a tendency to uh, be uh, to rejoice when an enemy falls? As the scriptures talk about that. There's something more that I've seen, and that is that shallow Christians or shallow professing Christians do this. And that is rather than seeing themselves as a part of the redemptive purpose of God, to help people to be restored to God and not under condemnation or not living calloused about their sin. Instead, it's just like these people are entertained by someone else falling into sin. They're not grieved by it. They're not broken by it. They're not resolved to help or to restore. They're, they're actually entertained. It's just a, it titillates their, their uh, curiosity. And, and it's, a sh- it's a shallow, ugly thing. Um, I, I can't help but believe that that is a great grief to God's heart who sent his son to die, to restore people to God, to forgive people of sin that we would gloat or that we would take any delight in the fall of another or when another person is overtaken in a fault, just to be entertained by that, to be titillated by that, to be curious about that. What should we do? Let's go to the scriptures now and let's go to Galatians in chapter 6. And let me remind you of the sermon title, Who is on the Lord's Side? Who is on the Lord's side? I should almost be able to hear your voice saying, Lord, I'm on your side. I'm on the Lord's side, Lord. I'm on the Lord's side. I want to do what God is doing. I want to participate in what God is doing. Well, here's what God is doing. God is not in the business of fully and finally condemning people. It's not what he wants to do. God wants to forgive. God wants to restore. Listen to Galatians chapter 1. The context of this would be, the book that's written to people who are distorting the law of God. And we're saying that the law, that you have to keep the law under your own flesh to be saved or adding to God's law in order to be saved. And Paul corrects all of that. And he talks about life in the spirit. When you get to chapter five in Galatians, you have this gorgeous passage that's contrasting the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit back at the house here. If you were to go around to the front porch of the house, and you were to walk up on our front porch here on Bittersweet Farm, then over that main window, you would see a plaque, and the plaque is listed, the nine fruits of the Spirit that, that Paul writes to the Galatians here. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against, against such things, there is no law. He says, walk in the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And he closes that section, verse 25, by saying, if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit, and not be conceited, and provoke one another, and envy envy one another. And then there's the chapter division. But immediately after the chapter division, where Paul has been appealing to these Galatian Christians, and to us, that we can 
and that we should walk in the Spirit, be motivated by the Holy Spirit, under the control of the Holy Spirit. He says this, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, you that are walking in the Spirit, that are hearing the voice of the Spirit and yielding to the impulses of the Spirit and experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit and walking, enjoying the fruit of the Holy Spirit, he's saying, these are the spiritual ones, right? You that are spiritual, you that are walking in the Spirit, listening to the voice of the Spirit, obeying the impulses of the Spirit, eating the fruit of the Holy Spirit, you that are spiritual, restore the one who's caught in transgression. Restore him in a spirit of gentleness and keeping watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so think about this. This passage implies, it teaches some powerful things, implies some very powerful things. It teaches that people who walk in the Spirit are motivated by the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is the Spirit of love and gentleness and restoration and the Spirit of God wants to restore people. And if we're possessed by the Holy Spirit, if we are under the control of the Holy Spirit, then our desire will be the same as God's that will help other people get free of their sin. We won't gloat that they fell into sin. We won't rejoice that they fell into sin. We won't be entertained by the fact that they fell into sin, but we'll help restore them with a meek spirit. Are you that kind of person? Have you ever had that kind of person in your life? I have. I know what it's like to feel condemnation, to to fail God, to disobey God, and to sin in a shameful way. And I know what it's like to have people gloat about that. I I know what it's like to have people throw it up to me. I know what it's like to have people that are almost gleefully want, don't want anyone to ever forget it. And they want to keep bringing it up against me. That's what Satan would want to do, but it's not what my God would do. And I remember one day a man in my life, his name happened to be George. And George, he came to me at a difficult time like that. And he was very meek. And he's very humble. And he's very quiet. And he basically just asked me if there was anything he could do for me, if there's any way that he could help me. I remember another time when I was just a young, young pastor, and I had made a mistake, and it wasn't a good thing. And, and an elderly man in the church came to me very privately, um, and, and he, he offered to help me. And he offered, and he had the ongoing willingness to help in the future if I ever needed his help. I remember him. He's been with the Lord for years, but I will never forget him. I could tell you his name, his wife's name right now. I could see his face in my heart because he meekly tried to help me when I was overtaken in a fault. We've all been overtaken in a fault. We've all been hooked by sin and reeled in by Satan. But who are those who come along? Who are the people who come along and who will meekly restore? So we understand According to Galatians 1, uh, 6, 1, 1 through 2 or 3 there, we understand that the scriptures teach it's our responsibility to help restore people. Well, that implies this, our ability to help restore. We Think of that. You and I have, in, in the power of the Holy Spirit, can be used of God to help deliver people from the trap of sin that's taken them in. Who is on the Lord's side? Who will do the work of God? Will you condemn others? That's what Satan would do. Will you 
eagerly remind them of their sin, keep them under your thumb, cosmic blackmail? Will you blackmail other people because of their sin? Or will you help set them free, be the kind of person that doesn't remind them of their sin so much as we remind them of the cross? This is very, very simple when you think about it. What does this mean? This means that believers are to be primarily people that who, who, who have other people in their circle of love and influence that have been kind and loving and merciful and Christ-like to a circle of influence. And when someone in that circle of influence then falls into a, the trap of sin and they're overtaken in a fault, then those that are spiritual, we work to remind them of what God says about their sin. Yes, that it's wrong, but that but doesn't have to be terminal because God says he can give them he can give them life if they will repent and if they'll be restored so think your way through the Bible on this and imagine uh, the stories that Jesus loved to tell his stories that Jesus loved to tell weren't they always about repentant sinners weren't they so often stories about sinners that came to repentance and that were restored to God he loved to tell this beautiful story of the of the publican and the Pharisee and here was this this Pharisee that wouldn't repent, but the publican did repent, and that day he was restored to God. Jesus made up that story. Or what about the story, true story, uh, of the of the sinful woman that came in and put the ointment on the feet of Jesus, and and um, and then there was the Pharisee there, uh, Simon the Pharisee, who reacted against that, and Jesus said, "Well, she loves me a lot because she's been forgiven much." Uh, this was what, this was these were the stories that Jesus so loved to tell and so frequently told. And these are the stories that we should long to tell. Who is on the Lord's side? Who will help set other people free? Now, I want to get very personal now. I want to talk to you personally, and I want you to think of the intimate circle of the people that you live with. I want you to think about your husband. I want you to think about your wife. I want you to think about your children. I want you to think about your parents, your brothers and your sisters, or the people that you live near or that you work with. I want you to think about people who have hurt you. I want you to think about people that you would tend to withhold forgiveness from. I want to ask you, are you on the Lord's side? Is it your desire to see them set free from condemnation? Is it your desire to restore them in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself so that you won't be tempted? Do you, have, do you realize that's something that you can do? And are you devoted to doing that? What we're talking about here is just simply the skill of teaching the law of God and having gospel conversation, especially in the circle of people that you know and love the most. I would pray, I would wish and desire and pray that during my ministry here at Bethel, one of the things that I am able to do is teach the whole church the importance of gospel conversations because this is why gospel conversation is so powerful. Do you see it now? The gospel conversation is the conversation in which a person gets free from condemnation. Teaching of the law is when a person gets under conviction. We appeal to their conscience with the teaching of God's law. But then when they're ready, we explain the gospel to them. And when we explain the gospel to them, they're free of condemnation. This is how people are set free. This is, people are, this is how people are free of condemnation. This is the way to deal with 
loved ones when they're sinning, not to be on the devil's side, eager to condemn them, entertained by their failure, amused by the fact that we feel like we're better than they are, but grieved into action, grieved into compassionate action to, to minister to other people, to help set them free, to see them restored. And that's why it says, brothers and sisters, if anyone's caught in a transgression, if they're trapped and they fall into a trap of transgression, you that are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness, keeping a watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. One of the most, uh, one of the greatest privileges that I probably have ever had is the study in the graduate program at the Moody Bible Institute a number of years ago. And during that graduate program, I was, I was uh, privileged to sit under the teaching of uh, two men, Dr. Harry Shields and Dr. Don Sanukian. And Harry Shields and Don Sanukian uh, were, were teaching in a homiletics class. And during that homiletics class, Don Sanukian told a story that I have never forgotten before we quit today and you go about your business on this beautiful Lord's Day. I want to tell you this story because it's a picture of what it looks like to restore another person in a spirit of meekness. Don Sanukian said he was speaking at a church one day and the pastor said to him before he uh, spoke, he said, when you're done speaking today, he said, turn the microphone back over to me at the end because we will have a few things that we need to do before we go home. And so when uh, Dr. Snookin was done preaching, he turned the, the pulpit back over to the pastor and the pastor got up and with a big smile on his face, he said, we have new members to welcome into the church membership today. He said, about that time, he said, the, a young couple came forward, a handsome young man with a beautiful young wife and just perfectly groomed little children. And, and the, they all had Bibles under their arms and they, they came forward and the pastor introduced them to the church. And he said to the church, we're just so grateful to have this new couple has moved into our area and he's a physician at the hospital. And he's going to be practicing here in town and they've chosen to join our church. I want you to make them feel welcome and I want you to come and I want you to extend the right hand of fellowship to them as they join our church today. And there's just a murmur of joyful approval that went across the whole congregation, a little ripple of agreement that went across the whole congregation that day when this young uh, Christian doctor and his wife joined the church. And then the, the pastor said, and we, and we have someone else as well. There, some of you remember little Kate. And, you know, Kate was in our Awana program. He said, uh, in, in the last few years, she's drifted away from walking with the Lord. And uh, she's, has, she's going to have a little baby here soon. And uh, she's going to be a single mom. But uh, this week, she's come back to the Lord. He said, I want you to come and I want you to welcome her into the membership of our church. And he said, Dr. Snookian said they began to play a song and people went forward and they shook hands with a young couple. But then he said his heart was so tender when he looked over and he saw over and over again, there was a big long line of people lined up by that single mom, giving her their business card, offering their help, a washing machine, a set of tires, automobile repair. That's what it looks like to restore in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Friends, listen, someday you will stand at the end of that line and you will need others to restore you. Someday, the people you love the very most in the world may stand at the end of that line. 
Let's be a people who are eager to be on the Lord's side, do the business of the Lord, which he said is the business of restoring people who have fallen into temptation. God, deliver us from evil. God, deliver us from temptation. God, help us to walk with the Lord and not to sin. But when folks do fall into temptation, let's be the kind of people who quickly, who eagerly, who meekly restore those who've fallen into temptation. Who is? Who is on the Lord's side?